threshold, breaking the threshold. Threshold is the magnitude or intensity that must be exceeded for a certain reaction, phenomenon, result, or condition to occur or be manifested. You know, if we're ever going to really break some barriers in our life, you're going to have to go outside your comfort zone, go past your fears, break some of your fears, and... uh, You know, Jesus actually wants you and I to be 100% fearless. Now, some of you just think, okay, Pastor, no, that's that's like running a marathon. Okay, I get that. But I believe all of us in here can be, we can do this. We can fear less than what you're fearing right now. So is everybody on that page? All right. The goal is to be totally fearless, but if you say, well, that's just too big, well, well, you can eat a whole elephant just one bite at a time. (laughs) Some of you could eat it faster than others, but anyway. (laughs) Oh, I feel a little punchy today, but anyway. Did you know the devil, speaking of fear, did you know the devil is not afraid of a big church? Are you hearing me? But he is afraid of a united church. I'm going to say it again. The devil is not afraid of a mega church, but he is afraid of a united church. There is 120 people, the Bible said, in the upper room with one mind, one accord, and they change the world. They change the world. And um, I I didn't mean to do this, but it it, it really felt good the first service, so I'm going to do it again. I, uh, there's a, a, a friend, a couple, a friends of mine, uh, they're a couple, husband and wife, and they just really got hurt this week. I mean, it, it was devastating, and, um, and it affected me. I didn't realize, but it affected me. And uh, I was just meditating upon this, and, uh, and they're Christians, believers, and uh, so I was just meditating on this, and I just thought this. I thought, I'm gonna tell, I haven't told him this yet because I just got it yesterday evening late. And so I thought, I'm going to tell them that I'm going to have their back and I'm going to be for them no matter what, to the degree, even if they fail, even if they commit some ugly sin, no matter what's going on in their life, I'm going to be there with them and for them. You stop and think about that. We all probably can name less than five people in our back pocket that would do that for us. I don't know about you, but when I thought about that, that is really sad. That's sad. Because the Spirit of God spoke to me and he said, well, Mike, that's what I do for you. You can fail. You can sin. You can do anything. And I'm going to love you no matter what. You can fail, you can sin, you can do anything, and I'm going to love you no matter what. And so the Lord says, Mike, that, you're saying, ooh, man, that's a big deal. He goes, I don't really understand what you're saying because that's my intention for you. That's what I do for you. And this is the thing. The church around the world, that's what we have the most difficult with other people. You know, 
Christians, you know, I've heard this. It's a, I shouldn't even repeat it because I hate it. Christians are only people that kill their wounded. And then yet Jesus says, this is the one thing. This is the one thing that I want you to do. So that the world, this is the one thing that I want you to do so that the world will know you're my fo- uh, followers. What was it? Love each other. And yet, that is the most difficult thing that we have doing. And yet, Jesus said, you want to change the world? You want the world to know that you're Christians, believers, followers of Christ? This is what you got to do. Love one another. So what does the world have trouble doing? Loving one another. But you know what? I believe in this day in which we live. The gospel is being preached around the world that is changing that kind of mentality. Changing people's attitudes, changing the way people think, even change the judgmental attitude. How about this for a thought? I believe that one of the main reasons why God didn't want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of of knowledge of good and evil is because then we would have knowledge of good and evil and because we would not have good and evil knowledge that we could easily judge people then just a thought just a thought and God knows that he is the only one in that position to do that judge mankind was never meant to judge just a thought if you disagree with that that's all right and that brings me to another point Christians disagree with one another and then because you don't agree and think and believe like I do then I I have every right to cut you off and I'm sure that's in the Bible somewhere that was sarcasm not it's not in there because seriously, I remember there was a time when, you know, my eschatology and your eschatology, if you didn't, if your eschatology, that's the study of end times, I'm sorry, the study of end times. If you didn't believe, if you didn't believe, if, you know, if this person believed in the rapture and that person didn't believe in the rapture, you know, they'd say, well, I can't associate with you then. And again, I'm sure that's in the Bible, you know, it's Jesus plus believing in the rapture, that's going to get you to heaven. Or it's Jesus and believing in this, and it's Jesus believing in that. It's just, and, and that's why we have over 40,000 different denominations on the planet, because uh, I don't believe like them, so I'm going to create my own little thing. I'm having my own little party. We might as well hit this head strong because I, I want to have a group. I want to have a family. I want to have a church. I want to have a group of believers. I want to have people who are watching and listening that says, uh, let's change that. Yes. Let's just make the focus one thing. Let's just make the focus Jesus. You believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. You're my brother. You're my sister. Doesn't matter whatever everything that you believe. You believe in, in prosperity, you believe in healing, you believe in that. Trust me, I believe in all. You believe in speaking in tongues, you believe in that. You believe there's no, there, I don't care what you or don't believe. If you believe in Jesus and I believe in Jesus, we're family. Amen. We're family. 
That has nothing to do with fear. But uh, the Lord just felt, I felt like that's what the Lord wanted me to do. The first, I mean, the first service, it just came out. So I was going, ditto for the second service. All right. Franklin D. Roosevelt said this. You're familiar with this. Have you ever seen that old black and white, 1933? The only thing, he probably held it. The only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. They didn't clap then either. But anyway, it is true that we should not be a people of fear, and yet there are many things to be fearful of. There are a lot more things to be fearful of today than it was when I was a kid growing up, you know. I remember when I was seven years old, I rode my bike to the grocery store, which was miles away. When I was about nine years old, I rode to my sister and brother-in-law's house, which was Many, many miles away, nine years old, on streets and through paths and across busy streets. And <clears throat> my mom never did have any fear of somebody kidnapping me. I don't let my grandkids go around the block. And you shouldn't either. But, I mean, my point is this. There's a lot more things. Nobody feared, you know, getting kidnapped. We didn't even know what that word was. Or being you know, molested or anything like that, being taken, I mean, nothing like that. Now, oh my goodness, there's a lot more things to be fearful of. But Jesus said the most impossible thing. <coughs> he told his disciples and his followers, fear not. The interpretation is do not be afraid of anything. That just makes your head go tilt. Are you telling me not to be afraid of anything? You can study that in the Greek. You can study that in any language. It's still going to mean don't be afraid of anything. There's no way to get around it. You know, it's like maybe the interpretation is different. No, it means don't be afraid of anything. Do not fear. Do not fear. And our imagination plays havoc with that because we think, okay, if this is happening, then you imagine something really bad. <clears throat> if the doctor says, um, you have cancer, your imagination goes, I better plan my funeral. And you start doing it in your mind. You start doing these things. Uh, if they're going to start laying people off, it's your job. You have a fear that probably going to be me. Our imaginations get the best of us. But I'm going to go over some fears. It's not all fears, but this is some major fears. I Googled it and did some major fears. The fear of public speaking. The fear of public speaking. This is, I, I got to, had the privilege of speaking up at, at Karis and um, the fear of public speaking. To me, it's, it's funny how people are wired, I guess. That's the only way, or gifted. It could be gifted, wired, whatever you want to call it. But it's more difficult for me to speak to five or ten people than it would be five or ten thousand. If I, the more people, the easier it is. If I have three or four, it's like, okay, um, glad you all are here today. Anybody have a testimony? 
No, but uh, the fear of speaking, huge fear. Another huge fear, fear of heights, the fear of heights. Now, I always think that it's really not the fear of heights, it's the fear of falling. But uh, if you check this out, and look at this person, I don't think, I don't, I don't feel like I have a fear of heights, but I just think that's just being stupid. I mean, I don't have a fear of heights, but I'm not going to walk across the Grand Canyon on a rope. I don't care what, you know, I'm just not going to do that. The fear of heights, fear of heights. How about the fear of death? That's a huge one. And if you put all of these in a nutshell, it boils down to that one. Because if you fall from that rope or, or whatever, you're going to die. The fear of losing your job. I read an article a couple weeks ago. In actuality, in America, that is one of the number one fears going on right now at this present time is the fear of losing your job. A lot of people got jobs. A lot of people got great jobs. A lot of people are getting paid good money. And so now what happens? They have a fear of losing it. Fear of losing their job or fear of not having enough money. People's 401k. What are we going to do when I retire? When it, is there going to be enough money there? I don't think there is. <clears throat> People I love of dying, a fear of that. Fear of the unknown or the future. Fear of the unknown or the future. And let me just tell you this. As far as God is concerned, there is no unknown. And God is living in you, so you don't have to worry about having a fear of the unknown. Because he knows everything. But a fear of the future, God's already there. He's already got you covered. Terrorist attacks, fear of flying, fear of flying. There's quite a few people, and I, this is, I just love to fly. I just, I just look at that, and I just go, ooh, gives me just goody feelings. And it's really not the fear of flying. It's the fear of crashing. It's the fear that your wing getting tore off, you know, the fear of the engines falling off. And uh, I remember when we were in the Air Force, we took off, and the uh, number one engine went out. And, you know, it's just, boom, big red light on the dashboard, and I'm sitting in the middle, and I just went, whoa, number two engine, or number one engine gone. But it says, walk back there and make sure it's not on fire. <laughs> I'm 19 years old. That, that put a little fear in me because I think that means I have to leave everybody and be back there by myself. And what if it is burning? What if the wing's on fire? I want mama. <laughs> <clears throat> so I went back there and looked and I guess ran. He, he didn't know this. You know, it's just a plywood floor. You know, you go by outside the cockpit and you run back there. I ran, looked, looks good. I ran back. No, it's, it's good. There's no fire. <laughs> We're good to go. Terrorist attack, fear of flying, fear of darkness, fear of pastor speaking for an hour and a half. <laughs> That's really not that funny. When I first started the church, I, uh, there's sometimes I would preach for an hour. How many of you remember that? Preach for an hour and a half. Put your hands down. Fear of blood and needles. Okay, I could fall into that one. I just don't like it. Claustrophobia. Being in small places, being in tight spots. Well, again, I don't know why I'm talking a lot about the military. That, that when I was in a, a prisoner of war camp simulation, <clears throat> they had a bunch of boxes lined up, and there was these 
enclosed boxes. They were little, and uh, they called them sweat boxes. And so what they would do, they would stick you in there. I'm 120 pounds back then. Anyway, 120 pounds back then, and uh, about five foot seven. I'm not far from that. I love you all. So they put me in there, and then there's a crank on the one on the side, and then one on the front. And what they do is they suck that, you know, because me, I go, whoa, man, I got all kinds of room in here. But anyway, they just, and all of a sudden, I was in there, I go, this ain't bad. And all of a sudden, you hear this. I mean, you're in, you're just like a little bitty mouse inside there. But, and they keep you in there for about 30 minutes and try to make you talk and try to make you, you know, cry for mama and everything. But uh, I had a friend who, uh, he was majorly claustrophobic, major, and I didn't know it. And uh, so he's getting it. He goes, I ain't getting in the box. And they said, yes, you are. And he says, no, I'm not. And so this is part of his training, you know, and everything. So the, about three or four gorillas come over there and just grab him, and they throw him in this box, you know, and it's only about that high off the ground, and they just literally torpedo him in that. Well, his foot caught the lip of it and snapped it, and they shoved him in there and then locked it up and started cranking it and everything. He's screaming bloody murder. Of course, he was screaming bloody murder before, but now he's even, and I'm right next to him, and that just gives you the ibby-jibbies anyway, you know. It's just like, oh, man, you don't like to hear people scream like that. So he started yelling that, you broke my foot, you broke my foot. And they went, yeah, 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 whatever. Well, he kept him in there the whole time, and he screamed the whole time. And they got him out, and sure enough, his foot was broken. So he, he, he failed the training and everything. <coughs> but anyway, he was super claustrophobic, and so there's a lot of people claustrophobic about that. How about the, the fear of clowns? When I was growing up, I never heard anybody talk about the fear of clowns. And then when I had kids, man, that's the, that's the talk. There's, did you know there's more of a fear of clowns than ghosts? Clowns are higher on the list than ghosts. And I went, Funny, you're funny here. How? And my kids go, Dad, that's your, they're just sick. That's just sister. Anybody afraid of clowns? You want to admit it? One, two, three. Okay, fear of clowns. The next, fear of ghosts. Fear of failure or not mattering in this world. Fear of failure or not mattering in this world. Fear of rejection. The fear of dentists or doctors. Fear of dentists or doctors. How about the fear of bugs, spiders, sharks? Here's a big one, snakes. Fear of snakes. This is my son just last week. This is fresh. <laughs> Melody and Laura were sitting underneath that shade tree right there, and there's a chicken pen right to the left, his right, our left. See that fence? That's it. We got chickens inside there. He went, they saw him coming around the corner, and they called me. I wasn't home. They called me, and uh, before, I mean, within seconds, he was inside the chicken pen. So I knew I couldn't get home to get him, and uh, so uh, I just called Joe. I said, Joe, are you home? He said, yeah. I said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go inside the chicken pen. There's a bull snake inside the chicken pen. I want you to catch him. Okay, I can do that. Well, 
He's seen me. Some of you may not know this. I would catch snakes when I was a kid and uh, grew up catching snakes and didn't have a fear of snakes because my brother-in-law, he was going to be a herpetologist. He was going to be a herpetologist. And uh, that's the study of reptiles. And so he was a snake person. So we, he would take me on snake hunts in Kentucky. There's a lot more snakes in Kentucky than there are here. And so I, he would teach me the difference between poisonous snakes. And he would teach me the difference, with, you know, how to handle them. Like that. See, he's got it behind the head, got the tail. And uh, the snake, you know, you just, you just do that. There's no problem. So... Um, <clears throat> That's the first one he's ever caught, but he's seen me. I, we live in Pueblo West, so I'd catch snakes probably every summer. And um, But my brother-in-law would take me out when I was like 11, 12 years old. And um, there was this one time he would, we caught some garter snakes. Those are really common snakes everywhere. And so, uh, but then we went in the afternoon to this place and we caught a king snake, which, you know, five, six, seven feet long. And it's called a king snake because they eat all snakes, including poisonous ones. A poisonous snake can bite it, will not kill it. He just will eat the copperhead and rattlesnakes, all snakes. So that's why they call them the king snakes. And they're pretty snakes, and they're just cool to have because you, have you ever seen a snake eat another snake? It's really interesting. Or, or it could gross you out. I don't know what I've seen could grow shrap. But anyway, I just wanted you to get a picture inside your mind. So anyway, I caught this bull, uh, uh, king snake. And uh, remember earlier in the day, I caught a guard snake. And so I had it in this hand. I was getting ready to grab it with this hand. Well, he just turned around and he just swallowed my thumb. So I'm 11 or 12 years old and I got this snake and it's going all the way to the ground. And I, and I said, Johnny, he won't let go. And I can't get it off. <clears throat> so he just came over and he pinched behind the head and it let go. Didn't bleed, didn't, you know, hurt. I've been stung by a bee and wasp and bit by a snake. The bee and the wasp is much more painful. You just thought, I don't believe you. I know every one of you thought that, but it's true. But anyway, I don't have a fear of snakes because of how I was taught and what I've been around. Let me just say this. If you are around somebody fearful, you will probably become fearful because fear is contagious. Fear is contagious. I remember when I was growing up as a kid, there this family and I spent a lot of time with, the mother was just absolutely terrified of storms. In Kentucky, we get some really, really bad storms and tornadoes and everything, lightning, thunder, shakes the house, it's so loud, and she was fearful. Well, all of her kids were fearful of storms, and so, and I was kind of like, I'm not fearful of storms, but I'm getting fearful of storms, and then when my brother-in-law married my sister, you know, he did the exact opposite. When it would storm in Kentucky, Man, he would take me to the window and go, look at that cool lightning. Look at it. Listen to that. This is so And he just went on and on. And the fear just went to where I have no fear of storms. So when I thought, when I have kids, I'm going to make sure to tell them how cool lightning is, how cool thunder is, and the winds and the rain. This is, oh, is this cool? Is this cool? 
I'm not stupid. I mean, if I see a tornado, run, go jump in it. No, I don't do that. But, uh, but I, I, I just want to make sure that there's no fear of storms for my kids. And guess what? All three of my kids, when they see lightning, the first words out of my mouth, cool. But you don't want to be just hanging around fearful people all the time because unless you're going to try to teach them, which could be difficult. But some people have fear of God. Scared of God like they are scared of storms. And that's just wrong. And I know people say, well, in the Bible it says fear God. Well, it does not mean fear like you're afraid of snakes or whatever. It means with reverential fear. He's the all-knowing one. It's an allness. How or why should we be afraid of our Father? All right? Fear of germs. Fear of change. This is huge. And it seems like the older you get, the more fearful you are of this because you don't want anything to change when you're older than 50, 40. Fear of storms and weather. Health fears. Fear of getting some major sickness. Fear of another season of The Bachelor. (laughs) I've never seen that show, but I've seen it advertised, and I thought, that's probably legit. Anyway. If you like The Bachelor, don't get all offended. I can tell, you know. We're not, this is not like TV. I can see your expressions. Some people think they're watching me and they're like they're on TV. I can see that. I am so funny. But anyway, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples, a bunch of people following him. And he's just start telling, he's telling them all kinds of stuff. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be locked up and arrested. I'm going to send you like she, sheaves, sheep in wolf's clothing. No, I'm going to send you like, no, I'm going to send you out as sheep amongst the wolves. I was going to say, it's in there, it's in there, it's, hang on, it's the merry-go-round, once it, boom, got it, all right. But he says, you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to arrest you, people are going to hate you, all kinds of bad stuff, this is what's going to happen to you. Just makes you want to jump in, go put a robe on, huh, be a follower of Jesus. Anyway, but this is what he says to them over and over and over again, fear not. Don't be afraid. And I'm sure if you and I were there, I'm pretty sure this is what the disciples did too. When he said, I don't want you to be afraid, I probably would have went, people going to kill me? Going to take me to court? Beat me? Do all these things? Mistreat me and everything? And, but don't be afraid. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he says this. Don't be in fear of those who can kill only the body, but not your soul. Well, let me just say this. You know, you do realize. I don't know. I could have been like Peter and raised my hand and said, you do realize you kill the body, that it's done. You're done. It's over. So if you're going to fear anything, that would be the number one thing, somebody that can kill your body. And he said, no, only fear God, 
respect and all of God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You can buy two sparrows for only a copper coin, yet not even one sparrow falls from its nest without the knowledge of your father. <clears throat> sparrows were the, like the cheapest thing on the planet, basically worthless. So he's saying, fear God, but I want you to put it in context because people can look at that and say, oh, you need to fear God. We need to be afraid of God. No, listen to the, read everything in context. The context is this. It says that if when I say fear God, your heavenly father knows about all of the sparrows, which are the least worthless things. And he says, I know when even one of them dies. I know all about them, God says. And then he goes on and says, aren't you worth more than sparrows to God? All of your hairs are numbered. He says, don't you know that? So what is he saying? He's saying, I am the one to be in awe and, and be in reverential fear about, but yet this is who I am. I'm the one who knows even about the sparrows. This, in other words, I know all the details of your life, and I'm concerned about all the details of your life. So you don't have to be a fear. You don't have to be a fear. You understand? So don't worry. Your father cares deeply about even the smallest detail of your life. Well, in Mark, it, let me just say this. It's in Matthew. That's Matthew chapter 10, two chapters before this. The disciples are hearing this lesson. But two chapters before this, they had a major lesson on fear, a major Lesson on fear. That's Matthew chapter 8. But I'm going to, this is the same story in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read it from Mark's, um, his letter. It says, on the same day, verse 35, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So they're getting ready to cross the sea. Now when they had left the multitude, they took along in them a boat he was. Other little boats were also with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, if you study this out in other translations, this was a major, major storm. This wasn't just like, no, I mean, it was major, like we're all going to die, that kind of storm. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, Jesus was, and they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we're going to perish? We're perishing. These were professional fishermen. They knew. They've been on the waters all their life. So they understood this is a storm-killing storm. Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? Let's just stop right there. <clears throat> Excuse me. This was a death-defying storm. And you're telling me, Why are you so fearful? I'm surprised Peter says, you need to just get real. You just need to be real because we almost died. We could have died. And why are you so fearful? Are you kidding me? He says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? But listen to what happened. And then they feared exceedingly. Here's the storm. They're scared half to death. Jesus comes out of the boat and says to the wind, stop blowing. Peace be still to the waves. Boom, you could walk on it like a sheet of glass. Now, after that, the disciples went from scared about the storm to exceedingly scared to death because what manner of man is in our ship? 
They got more afraid. Their fear was here, but then when Jesus calmed the storm, their fear went up to there. They were so scared. He said, Peter, kind of, he spoke and it, <laughs> exceeding fear. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that the wind and the sea obey him? So this is the point. Their fear was gone off the ocean in the storm. Well, the sea wasn't the ocean. Their focus went from the storm to the one who calmed the storm. And that's what God wants you and I to do. Because there are many, many things to be afraid of in this planet. In your life and my life, there are many things. People, you know, your mother says, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. No, that's a lie. There's lots of things to be afraid of. There's lots of things to be afraid of. And all the moms, am I, am I saying it right? There's lots of, if you tell, no, I mean, you can't tell yours, oh, just go out in the street. There's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> You're seven years old, for crying out loud. Get in Walmart by yourself. I'll pick you up in a couple hours. <laughs> they won't be there. No, there's lots of things to be afraid of. But this is what the lesson is. Don't be afraid when there's something to be afraid of. That was what Jesus was telling them. Did you hear me? Don't be afraid, even though there's lots of things to be afraid of. Matthew chapter 14, again, this was after the fact. This was after uh, the first lesson on the, the lake. And then he gives them the speech in Matthew chapter 10, don't be afraid. Then Matthew chapter 14 he said, they feed 5,000 people, disciples. They're probably pr feeling pretty good about themselves. We just fed 5,000 people. <laughs> Jesus says, I want you all to get in the boat. He pushes them off. They go over. It's nice and calm. But uh, in the Sea of Galilee, before they could get to the other side, which is not a very long trip, but... They got a serious headwind, not a storm, but just a major headwind. And so they're rolling and not going anywhere. <laughs> if, you're on a, if you're not going anywhere in life, you're either rolling against a headwind or you're on a treadmill. So they were not going anywhere. So they were just stopped and they could not get anywhere. Wind's blowing really hard, but they're just a headwind. And so in the middle of the night, they should have already been there. In the middle of the night, Jesus starts walking on the lake right past them. And guess what happens? Matthew 14, 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they said, hey, we don't have any fear anymore. We got this down pat. That's not what it says, Okay. It says, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Every lesson they <laughs> failed. F. Every lesson <laughs> failed. Don't be afraid. They were afraid. 
So he's trying to teach them, don't be afraid even though there's something to be afraid of. There are many things in your life and my life that we can be afraid of. But this is what God wants you to get today. The one who walked on the ocean and the sea, who walked in the storm, who calmed the storm. He's the one who lives in you. But many of you are like the disciples and you think Jesus is asleep and he doesn't care. The disciples said, don't you care? We're going to die. Don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care? What was his response? Don't be afraid. Yeah, but we could have died. Don't be afraid. And many people have fear in their life. And you think Jesus is asleep or he doesn't care. And he's here to tell you he definitely cares. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every detail about your life. Yes, he does care. But the lesson that Jesus was trying to get his disciples to learn, they did not learn the, the lesson. When he was arrested, getting ready to be crucified, what happened to his mighty disciples? They left. They ran in fear. I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, lesson after lesson, spending three years with Jesus every day, every lesson, don't be afraid, fear not, until it came to the end. When they were supposed to be with not only the Messiah, but their friend, their teacher, the rabbi, you are the great, you are the Christ. Peter got the revelation. But when it came down to it, when he was arrested, everybody ran. Because they were afraid. To the point to where Peter, he didn't run away. But when they said, oh, you're one of them. He goes, nah, not me. Don't know him. Never seen him before. Don't know. G, G, who? Nah, don't know him. Why did he do that? Fear. He denied him because of fear. So they all flunked. They all failed. And then at resurrection, not one of them was there. Expecting him, what he said, they didn't even believe him. Three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. You think everybody would be going, all right, the sun's getting ready to come up. Ten, nine, eight. No, nobody was doing that. They were nowhere around. No, 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 he, no. Fear. I heard a minister say this, and this is good. I'm not going to forget it. Anybody who prophesies his death and prophesies that he's going to be raised from the dead and pulls it off, you ought to listen to him. <laughs> Is that right? Anybody who prophesies his death and resurrection and pulls it off, you should be listening to him. There's only one who's done that, by the way. Jesus. So all of these fear, all the way up to this death, they still didn't get it. It didn't matter if they got another boat lesson, another storm lesson, another sermon on the mountain lesson. None of them changed their life. And yet, after his resurrection, you start reading the book of Acts. Peter, who was afraid of his shadow and everything, he was so fearful. He stands up after the resurrection and starts preaching 
to the very people in Jerusalem who crucified him and said, you're the ones who crucified him, but he has been raised from the dead. All of a sudden, there's a boldness and a fearlessness that comes with inside of him and all the disciples. What in the world happened? They believed in an event, the resurrection. The one who prophesied pulled it off and conquered death, hell, and the grave. He pulled it off, and they saw that he pulled it off. They saw that he pulled it off. My point is this. We have to get a bigger revelation of his resurrection power because when you get a hold of that, do you realize the first 50 to 100 years, the first 50 to 100 years, there was really no Bible to read. Not only that, less than 10% of the population could even read. And yet, the first 100 years after Jesus' resurrection was some of the most persecution for the church of all time. The Roman Empire, if you watch that movie, uh, The Gladiator and all these other movies, I think it's Gladiator, that, where they're killing Christians and feeding them to the lions and everything. They had no fear of dying, yet they didn't have a Bible to read or couldn't read a Bible. What was it? They heard about the resurrection. And it changed their fear into fearlessness. They believed that somebody conquered the death for them. And they accepted the stories that they heard. It was one story after another. Matthew was telling the story and he wrote it down. Mark, Luke, John, all of these people were telling their stories and people started believing in it to the point that it's in Roman documentation. Romans took good history documentation and what you can find, I'm not just telling you this, this is what you can find. They the Christians started changing the Roman Empire because the Romans would see these Christians martyred and, and getting tortured and, and going to be killed. And they had no fear of death. And it started affecting the Roman Empire because they thought, how can these people do this? And there was only one thing they began to tell. How could you do this? It's because we believe in the Messiah, the Jesus. He was raised. He died for me. He bore my sin for me, and he changed me, and he was resurrected for me, and he lives in me. That's why I have no fear of death. That's why you and I can have less fear than what we've ever had in our life. Let's stand.